We all know the world of energy and natural resources is changing fast. People are demanding action on the climate crisis. Businesses and politicians are throwing their weight behind the energy transition. And technology is reshaping the world as we know it. But we must ensure the result doesn't become too complex and too confusing. That's where the Climate Transition Podcast comes in. In this series, DLA Piper's Energy and Natural Resources team speaks to special guests to help you make sense of it all. My name is Natasha Luther-Jones. I'm the global co-chair of the Energy and Natural Resources sector here at DLA Piper. I'm also co-head of our International Sustainability and ESG offering. And I am your host for the series. Today we ask, can renewables help fashion go green? Fashion has bounced back strongly after COVID-19. The industry is now worth a reported $1.7 trillion and is the largest e-commerce sector in the world. But this all means environmental impacts. Recent figures from the UN show that fashion accounts for a reported 8-10% to of global carbon emissions. And this means huge strides are needed if the industry is to make significant progress towards net zero emissions. Clearly, the sector must act. Thankfully, some of the biggest global fashion brands are engaging with the major questions that this raises. How can they embed renewable energy in their global operations? How can this help them to reduce scope one, two and three emissions in their value train? And will this be enough to make the changes we need? To help tackle these topics, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Asma Chowdhury Landfelt, Head of Renewable Energy Investment at fashion chain H&M Group. H&M Group was founded in 1947 and is the second largest fashion retailer in the world. Asma spent 10 years working at H&M Group and I can't think of anyone better to discuss these issues with. And Asma, it's a pleasure to welcome you on International Women's Day. What a joy to be recording with you today. Hi, Natasha. Nice to see you. And you. Um, Okay, so what a great topic we've got to discuss today. So maybe we'll get into some background questions for the listeners. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit more about your role at H&M Group? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, So I'm heading the renewable energy investments globally for the H&M Group. Uh, It basically means that everything from supporting our climate experts with the renewable energy strategy, investment strategies for the renewable energy, leading PPA procurement, looking into new renewable energy technologies, but also I would say a big part is learning about the subject and how we as the H&M group on our own or by partnering with others uh, can accelerate the transition from fossil fuels to clean energy. Thanks. So, so what attracted you to fashion in the beginning and then how did you find yourself doing renewable energy in fashion? So fashion has always been a big part of my life. Uh, my mom always you know, used to sew our clothes uh, when we were young and being able to combine my engineering and legal background with fashion was the best of the worlds for me to meet. Uh, also, I've actually never worked with fashion. It has always been with the supporting functions around fashion. And renewable energy is one of them. 
and I got into this a couple of years ago as uh, starting to procure PPAs for the H&M Group. Um, and where does renewable energy fit within H&M Group's wider sustainability plans? Is it core to what they want to achieve? So I would say that, uh, yes, it is. Um, degrees matter. I don't think anyone has missed that the fact that the global temperature rise must be kept to one and a half degrees. And as a good global fashion company, we can't just sit back and watch. We have a responsibility and we have to act uh, renewable energy is one of the pieces of the puzzle to secure that we move from the usage of fossil fuels to renewable energy. Um, and you and I have had the pleasure of working together now. Um, I was I was trying to figure it out. I think it must be nearly three years now, potentially. Um, yeah, and think, we've done, do you think it is three years that you've... Yeah, yeah, it was. I think it was like right before the pandemic yeah <laughs> a bit of a plug for resource uh, asma and i met at the resource conference which i have to say if you're into renewable energy and ppas it's uh, the place to be in amsterdam um and that's not a paid for plug by the way um but anyway um we've worked together on a lot of the ppas that h&m have done um you haven't publicized them widely so maybe it'd be interesting for the listeners to hear a little bit more about the background of the corporate power purchase agreements that h&m group have signed sure natasha uh, so the h&m group's climate strategy is built with three main cornerstones the first one is energy efficiency and renewable energy uh, the second is moving towards circular business models and the third is carbon removals and as you know one of the goals within renewable energy is to have reached 100 percent renewable energy within our own operations until 2030 and procuring PPAs is a part of that strategy, uh, which we've been exploring uh, for a couple of years. And we signed our first PPA for our own operations in the UK in 2020, uh, which started generating renewable electricity in December last year and generates 41 megawatt hours. Last year, we also signed in south of Sweden in Hulsfred, uh, which to date will be the largest solar park in Sweden and it'll be operational in 2025 and generate uh, approximately 90 megawatt uh, and that's just to mention a few of the PPAs that we've signed uh, uh, with uh, your support as well. Clearly from H&M Group's perspective renewable energy plays a critical role um, in sustainability and decarbonisation. Um, how important is it generally for greening the fashion sector, do you think? Uh, I would say it's very important. Uh, I mean, renewable energy is an important aspect since the fashion industry is a contributor to the greenhouse gas emissions. And I mean, this is due to the energy intensive process involved in produ producing and also transporting the clothes, as well as the significant amount of waste generated by the fashion industry. And I would say switching to renewable energy sources such as solar or wind power can help to reduce the fashion industry's carbon footprint and also mitigate the negative impact of its operations uh, on the environment. So I would say if, uh, if the fashion industry comes together and uh, invest in renewable energy, uh, they can reduce their reliance on fossil fuels and help the transition to more sustainable and also lower the carbon economy. You mentioned the word invest there, um, and, and we've been talking about 
your corporate power purchase agreements. Um, is it worth sort of just explaining a little bit more about what actually appeals to you about the corporate power purchase agreements? You know, people can simply buy green power on the grid if they want under a supply contract, but why were corporate power purchase agreements critical to your strategy? I would say it's the fact that... Um just by entering into a long-term contract uh, where you agree to buy the electricity for a fixed price enables uh, building new assets, which brings clean energy to the countries where they are being built, means that we are actually enabling to make sure that new assets are being built to produce energy. And I can remember when I was introduced to PPAs for the first time, I thought there must be a catch. <laughs> it can't just be that you sign a contract and and uh, you can build new assets. Uh, but it's it's not as simple as that, but it almost is. And I would say that's appealing because... Um, you, I mean, we have to contribute and we have to make sure that clean energy... Uh, is being built around the world and especially around where we are operating as well. Good old um, additionality, the very hard to describe, but I think you've just described what we mean by additionality really well. Um, so look, you mentioned PPAs aren't that simple, but then again, they are simple. Um, is it worth just outlining, you know, um, contracting renewable energy power and entering into PPAs is not H&M Group's core function and core business. So what were your concerns when you were first looking at why should H&M Group enter into these long-term PPA contracts? Uh, I'm not going to lie. And you know this as well, because you were you were with from the start. And there were absolutely some concerns when entering into PPA's contracts, but I would say mostly financial. And I think that's also where a lot of people don't I really understand who haven't done any PPAs that, I mean, a PPA is is more or less um, a financial contract between a developer and the off-taker. And what I did was I asked for some great people to have around me. For example, I mean, I asked to have a controller, Petter Klaasson, who you've met, is one of the best, and Maria Falien as well, to have someone who is actually... Uh, I mean, managing the contracts. And there's a lot of work put into the financial models of these contracts. Uh, and I mean, so there has absolutely been concerns uh, on the accounting treatments of the PPA contracts, but we've had a lot of support from our treasury, Lisa Spetz, who's been very good at sorting things out together with support from uh, Phil Domini at uh, at EY, who we've also been working with for a long time. Yes, um, I remember those discussions. I'm not sure I'd say fondly, to be honest, but anyway, you are right. Um, just how have those discussions and decisions of entering into PPAs, how have they have they changed your priorities at all now because of the current energy market volatility? Because a number of your PPAs were signed a while ago. Um, so has it changed? So I would say that the priorities have not changed, rather that we've tweaked our requirements. Um, renewable energy is part of a function called green investments, which is the investment arm of our sustainability department. 
Enderlika Leverens, who is heading the green investment, has been with the company for almost three decades. And she's been through and seen a lot during her time. And she's very good at making sure also that the priorities should always be lowering our carbon footprint and finding ways to do that even in a time like this, when not only, I would say, the energy market, but the whole world economics are a bit shaky. So that we always keep focus on how to lower lower our our carbon footprint. Thanks, Asma. Um, Earlier on, you mentioned about, you know, you and I've worked together on PPAs uh, in Europe and the UK. Um, But I know your role is uh, much, much wider now geographically than previously. Um, Do do you want to just outline where you see maybe differences in the deals in Europe and then maybe from Asia and beyond? I would say there is a big difference uh, due to the maturity and supply of electricity in the different markets. And I'll make a very personal (laughs) reference. Uh, So I'm from Pakistan. I'm born in Sweden. And when I was young, we would travel back every other year. And I couldn't wrap my head around why the power was cut a couple of times during the day. So the power is cut uh, to relieve stress on the primary source of of energy, and that never happened in Sweden. Uh, Sweden, Europe, uh, US, I would say, are more mature markets when it comes to PPAs and uh, renewable energy. Uh, So it it didn't come as a surprise to me that some of our production markets are not as mature. Uh, And we started asking ourselves, how do we accelerate the production of green energy in those markets and jurisdictions where it might not be possible to do PPAs or clean energy just isn't as accessible? And that's where the discussions have evolved uh, for the H&M Group to explore in investing on its own or with partners in solar and wind farms to accelerate the new build of clean energy in countries where we have a lot of production and emission. That's really interesting then. So, so that's um, a, a slightly different direction, isn't it, Asma, then? So looking at working with partners and looking at investments in order to accelerate that change in certain jurisdictions? Yeah, I would say. And also, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, I mean, we've had this, this discussion as well before. I think that it's important for the industry as so to come together uh, and and do something together as well. Uh, so we are, I mean, absolutely exploring opportunities to build either our own or co-develop in countries where we have heavy production. And the co-development then, the sort of partnerships you're looking to form, is that just within the retail sector or is it more widely spread than that? I would say widely. I would say anyone who has 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 production uh, in those countries or or investment groups or I would say it's widely it's I would say we're more looking into partners who um, share the same values as as H&M group does you are going to get bombarded on LinkedIn now Asma I hope not (laughs) (laughs) should I rephrase Um, that Uh, no, but they are looking for partners, but maybe um, maybe we can point you in the direction of someone other than asthma. Um, do you know, one other point, actually, as you were talking and uh, it struck me and I think it's really interesting. So, so you said, you know, some of the countries, uh, it's just not possible to do corporate PPAs. So you're looking at um, co-development opportunities and other things and partners. But um, does it actually, does the ability to either invest in renewables or 
do a corporate PPA, does that will that ultimately affect where you build out your operations or where you continue to operate then? So our priority is to reduce emissions by 56% by 2030, uh, making fibers, processing material and dyeing fabrics use a lot of energy and about 70% of a garment's climate impact happens during the manufacturing of the garment. So phasing out coal is a big part uh, for us to be able to reach our goal. And at the beginning of 2022, we actually stopped onboarding new suppliers, uh, factories with on-site coal boilers into our supply chain. And I would say we always put long-term vision first. So when we decide where we source from, uh, our approach is more how can we use our size and scale to solve challenges in uh, countries where we have production and uh, accelerate the policy agenda. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it does. Um, so look, actually, let's move a little bit more um, away from the pure sort of electricity and then the investment in renewables. I think it, it would be good to, to talk a little bit more about how you go about as a business, maybe reducing your carbon emissions across scope one, two and three. Um, maybe it's worth you just explaining a little bit more about what one, two and three is for our listeners. So scope one and two are emissions for our own operations, for example, our own stores, offices and warehouses. And that's where we've uh, at the moment signed PPAs for uh, to cover our own emissions. And scope three includes indirect emissions, which could be such as material production, garment manufacturing um, and cus- cus- customer electricity use. And how easy or hard is it to reduce all of these emission types? Uh, I would say it depends on geography. Our highest priority is on reducing scope three uh, because of the most of the greenhouse gas emissions happen there and we're making key actions as more recycled materials, not onboarding suppliers with on-site coal boilers. H&M Group also, as I mentioned before, uh, has a green investment team, which is headed by Ulrike Leverance. And we are financially supporting projects that reduce our emissions throughout our value chain, where return on investment is measured by emission reductions and not financial gain. Uh, As an example, we've introduced a program uh, which is called GFI, uh, the Green Fashion Initiative, uh, where suppliers can apply for funding of energy efficiency or renewable energy projects. And looking then at scope three emissions, um, so uh, does that is that harder to reduce uh, in Asia or actually most of your scope three emissions, are they in Asia? Uh, they are, but I could say we could reduce in all geographies anywhere. Uh, there are just different ways to go by it. So it's it's absolutely harder in a few jurisdictions due to additionality or emissionality, as we also call it. And that's why that's why we have you, <laughs> Natasha. <laughs> I've not heard that phrase before. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? We did touch upon additionality earlier, but is there anything you want to expand on that? So I would say what we call instead of saying additionality uh, I say we more use emissionality uh, which is focusing on that H&M group is actually financing new renewable energy generation to be built and added into the grids across the world 
which would display some of the need of building new non-renewable generation to meet the world's increasing electricity demand. Yeah, I I like that phrase. Um, Emissionality, is that it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's good. I've not heard that before. Um, Is there anything else you want to talk about on your uh, renewable energy strategy? It's very, it's it's quite clear to me, it's reducing your scope one, two and three and getting to net zero. But um, is there anything else you want to talk about? The H&M Group has stated three goals, uh, which are innovation, uh, transparency and partnering. And innovation, I would say that we are definitely looking into new types of technologies uh, within clean energy and also being transparent about it. And as mentioned, partnering with other peers or retailers or investors to be able to partner in in, um, countries where we have scope three emissions. I'd love to hear more about the innovation part of the, of the, the new technology, but that's probably for another podcast. Uh, just a, a quick one, actually, before, because we're going to need to start wrapping up. But how closely um, driven is your emission strategy to then how your consumers um, perceive H&M Group and the reputation H&M Group have? Presumably, they're quite closely aligned, aren't they? Oh, yes, they are. Uh, I mean, our consumers, including myself, are, I would say, always looking for brands that are socially responsible and also conscious about the environment uh, and a brand that is actively working to reduce its carbon footprint, but also promote sustainability can be different from other competitors and also appeal, I would say, consumers and also new consumers who actually prioritize uh, our issues in the environment and I mean both you and I and our kids they have access to all this information and uh, it's very easy to do a research on a company's sustainability practices before making a purchase. Uh, Brands that prioritize emission reductions and renewable energy can also showcase their efforts and achievements uh, which can also increase the trust uh, in the in the customers and I would say also in addition to uh, reputation investing in emission reduction and renewable energy could also lead to cost savings increased operational efficiency and also more resilient supply chain Um, and I think all of these factors can contribute to a long-term success and also uh, keep the customers that you have, but also I would say attract uh, new customers as well. Um, and I think that would make us as H&M Group to stand out uh, within this industry. Totally agree. And the only extra one I would add in um, is also attracting and retaining the talent within the organization at H&M Group as well. Yeah. Um, look, um, clearly... Lots of changes coming to the fashion industry. Um, where do you think collaboration can make the biggest difference then um, in moving this important sector forward? I would say the biggest changes could be made where we have heavy production. Uh, so I think that's also where uh, collaborations are needed. I mean, yes, there are government officials and politicians doing what they can but I believe that corporates need to come together as well and they need to take responsibility where they have production and have uh, a large carbon footprint to 
uh, do something about it. How realistic is the progress, do you think, that can be made by 2030? I mean, 2030 is around the corner. <laughs> I don't yeah. think, I yeah. don't think, no, but it is. I mean, look at, I mean, we started working with what, 2020 when we did started with our first PPA. It took about a year before we signed our first. And I mean, as I mentioned previously as well, I mean, it, it's a complicated subject and it gets complicated also in, in um, scope three countries uh, where we have our scope three. So I would say if if peop- if the industry starts to act now I'm sure I'm positive that uh these issues can be handled by 2030. I can't wrap up actually it's been niggling away at me. I can't um wrap up without asking you a, a very quick question on how will your approach to renewables evolve over time. It was back to your innovation and your new technology comment where where do you think that's going to evolve then i would say it's going to evolve to i'm i'm hoping <laughs> that it would evolve to that uh, where we have uh, our production and i keep coming back to our production but it also because i would say that's where most of our carbon footprint is is in scope 3 uh, i'm hoping that the suppliers the factories that we use uh, and manufacture it will be using green energy throughout their whole supply chain. Great. So green fuels, hydrogen and that sort of thing. Yes, green fuels. Yes. Okay. Well, look, um, I always finish with this question um, and I think I know the answer already, but um, are you optimistic for the future, asthma? I would say I'm very optimistic, which I would say you usually know that I'm not, <laughs> but I believe <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's it's part of the job, but I would say I still believe in people and and corporates and the governments that they're willing to actually walk the extra mile and not only for ourselves, but also for, for I mean, our next generation. And I mean, I just hope that uh, we all together will accelerate and that it's not too late. So I'm definitely optimistic and I have to be. Well, oh, thank you so much for a really fascinating chat, Asma. Thank you, Natasha. It's clear that consumers do care more about their environmental impact than they have before. This is clearly positive. I, I really think it can be a catalyst for change in the fashion sector, including with deals for renewable energy and plans to reduce carbon emissions. This is why retailers, including H&M Group, play such an important role in driving change. And I think we can expect to see more input from business in the months and years ahead. We look forward to seeing how this continues to evolve. That just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. And I hope you can join me again soon. Please subscribe to the series at dlapiper.com forward slash ENR or via your usual podcast platform.